Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, so good to be back with you. How are you? I am well. Uh, how are you? We are in uh, approaching the fourth quarter here somehow of 2022, this summer flew by and uh yeah and now we're i just realized it because suddenly getting all the pitches for 2023 forecast articles and i was like oh maybe that's too already i'm like well but maybe i guess it's not too, it's not too early for that is it yeah I, i'm just glad we made it this far <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so that's that's a good thing and uh, speaking of making it you have a guest on the show who has made it today to have an interview with you and you guys are going to be discussing all sorts of things of course real estate i'm assuming Yes. Uh, Sarah Liu, who's partner on the real estate technology investment team at Fifth Wall, uh, is on, is come to join us today. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Before we kind of jump into it, just wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself a little more and talk about Fifth Wall and what it does in the VC space. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So, I'll start with a little bit on, on Fifth Wall. So Fifth Wall is a, a built world focused investment firm. We've got over $3 billion in assets under management, and we are the largest built world focused technology investor in the world. Uh, we were founded in 2016 by uh, two co-founders, Brad Grody and Brendan Wallace, who saw that there was a massive lag in technology adoption in real estate and the broader built world as well, such as construction or supply chain versus other industries. And they really wanted to help close that gap. Um, our first fund was $212 million. We had seven corporate LPs, one from every major asset class. Think CBRE and corporate brokerage or a Heinz and office, EQR and multifamily, et cetera. And then we've raised and deployed our second fund, a $500 million vehicle uh, between 2019 and 2021. And that fund had 40 corporate LPs. We expanded into Europe and Asia. Uh, we now have over 100 corporate LPs. And we also are now uh, based in New York City with offices around the world. Uh, so quite a lot of growth in a short amount of time. Uh, prior to Fifth Wall, I came from a management consulting background, spent some time at McKinsey. Got it. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been covering commercial real estate for over 20 years somehow at this point and can definitely vouch for that it's not always been the most tech savvy of industries but we did you know have noticed even in our coverage just the increasing round of startups and funds and uh, fundraising that's that's looking to push prop tech to to a new level so it's very interesting to get a chance to talk to you about that um i guess you know one kind of another like sort of ge- general question though it would be just from looking at at fifth wall site it seems like you've touched dozens and dozens literally of, of companies at this point so how 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 is that unfolded how does that process work in terms of vetting and, and finding the, the the tech that you want to work with sure so it's it's definitely a pretty intensive process and over the last couple of years I would say we've learned quite a lot as the prop tech industry has grown and evolved. Um, A lot of that involves learnings around, for example, the business models that we want to back and that should be venture backed versus those that are better set up as opco propcos, for example. 
um, where if the business model has a capital intensive aspect to it and involves, you know, rent to own of uh, single family homes, then it makes more sense for us to maybe invest in the operating company that's a startup and uh, managing those homes in a tech enabled way, but then to partner with an invitation homes, for example, uh, to actually provide the prop co dollars to purchase those homes because they're, they're you know, clearly collateralized and the risk associated with purchasing the homes is very different than the risk associated with investing in the operating company. And that's exactly what we did with Pathway Homes, which is a company we actually essentially incubated out of fifth wall. Um, and so things like that are learnings that we've had along with, of course, just uh, growing our network of founders, learning what our LPs are looking for and making sure that we're really leveraging the strategic value that we can bring to the table uh, and making sure, of course, that we are really focused around capital efficiency and balancing that with top line growth. So within the commercial real estate world, are there specific kinds of processes or areas that have been particularly active or ripe for prop tech? Yes, absolutely. I think across the board, there's been some really exciting activity. Overall, we continue to see multifamily and single family rentals be relative leaders versus, I would say, office. Um, And part of that likely is just due to the complexity involved with office transactions, as well as uh, the fact that oftentimes within offices, uh, as well as within industrial assets, it's really the tenant that determines what technology goes into the unit with their very customized build outs versus in multifamily and single family rentals the owner or landlord having a lot more control over what type of technology they'd want to use in order to manage the property or amenitize the property. Um, So that's where we're still seeing some lag, uh, I would say, in in office specifically. Yeah, that makes sense, though, Like because what you're saying around just, you know, different commercial real estate types, the level of what tenants have control over varies quite a bit depending on which sector we're talking about. Within the this multifamily single family area, are there so like what what are the you know when you talk about things being amenitized or processes that are that they're investing in? Can you give us some examples of the kinds of things that they're looking at? Sure. So the the biggest area I would say over the last couple of years in multifamily and now increasingly in SFR as well has really been around smart home as well as access control. So bringing that IoT into the buildings, especially class A, of course, where the expectation for for the consumer and tenant experience is higher. Um, That's been something that a lot of landlords have seen really strong ROI on, uh, both in terms of being able to command a premium rent by adding those IoT uh, in-home smart unit devices, but also uh, on the operational side because they've been able to manage those units more effectively when they're vacant um, Mm. or enable uh, smart tours that are self-guided rather than having their folks on site have to give every single tour. Uh, So all of those things, uh, I would say, are are really measurable in terms of the ROI. And that's why we've seen such strong adoption on access control and smart home IoT. Beyond that now, I think the next horizon that is starting to gain more traction is really in sensor tech throughout the rest of the building, thinking about preventative maintenance for things like the elevators, HVAC, et cetera. And of course, also decarbonization, energy efficiency, 
and thinking about retrofitting in order to actually meet sustainability goals that a lot of REITs are now setting. So basically, it seems like, you know, what one thing that these all have in common is it helps automate certain processes. It helps uh, potentially save operational costs by optimizing when you're running things or not. It also just like can cut down on, on having to have somebody physically go into a space to do certain things. So it just seems like it's a way for, for technology to help mitigate on the cost side, right? Is that, is, and, and help on the operations? That's right. I think it's it's about ROI at the end of the day. That's probably another one of the biggest learnings that you know we've really seen um, the entire industry go through. In the early days, there was quite a lot of uh, nice-to-have technology, and some part of that likely had to do with how cheap capital was as well at the time. And so, you know, there was a lot of things that were maybe more uh, amenities like or point solutions like a dog walking app um, or, you know, drone delivery uh, of uh, your takeout food or something like that. Right. And, and those are quite niche. What we found now is, you know, owners are becoming much more savvy and they're really oriented around the ROI they can get, whether that's top line and or bottom line um, and, and being able to either reduce off or increase their rent rent yield. And is there also some anything happening on like the payments side, just helping to make uh, accounts receivable, accounts payable, all that stuff more digitized? And this is always, or even some of the document handling, I think this has always been very paper intensive and literally sending the checks kind of industry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, di- digital uh, digital transactions, has been a huge area of innovation. And there's definitely a big push towards, you know, not just being able to apply for a lease online or to pay your rent online, but actually a lot of other innovations as well in uh, rental renter financial services. Um, so some of the examples of that are security deposit replacements, um, alternative types of guarantors, for example, mm-hmm. uh, flexible rent payments um, and, uh, improvements to renters insurance as well. So um, all of those types of financial services are increasingly being embedded by the landlord and, and seeing great traction with a lot of uh, a lot of the tenants, along with some of the more um, kind of upside oriented solutions like renter rewards as well for paying rent um, and, and giving renters, especially those that, that pay on time kind of bonuses for, for doing so. Yeah, this is, I mean, I, my own experience, um, you know, I'm a renter in New York City and um, just recently had to move after spending about seven years where renting from, from literally like a 90 year old uh, man, just renting a floor in his house. So certain, so obviously we just used to bring the, the check downstairs. <laughs> and then um, when we had to move, I was surprised to see some of these things that you're talking about, like that, that, you know, it was like looking online in, in, in just terms of doing the looking for apartments that getting ads for these guarantor services and getting ads for this, I guess that rental insurance, or I, I forget what the exact name was, but the, the, the thing that repl- that you can get that would replace doing a traditional security deposit. And then also now having moved into an apartment where I'm able to pay, we are able to pay rents online for the first time. So I kind of like to have seen this all even in, in a, my own life in the past few months, stuff that, that I, I do not remember existing the last time that I looked for an apartment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of that has to do with the size of the landlord as well, right? Um, what we're seeing is a lot of the folks that we work with who tend to be, you know, top 50 owners, operators, et cetera, they're really uh, the, the forefront of tech adoption, right? Versus I think the mom and pop owners and the long tail that still own the, the bulk of the, the industry, uh, that's where you're more likely to run into kind of paper checks and paper applications. And so we're, we're a long ways from getting tech adoption kind of equally distributed uh, across the entire spectrum of owners and landlords. But uh, we are starting to see now more solutions that are um, a little more bare bones, so to speak, that make it easier for some of those long tail owners to adopt because they don't need as many frills, for example, and they can't really shoulder uh, the costs if they're managing class B or class C, for example, versus a, a class A. Right. Yeah. So again, like we're talking more about like institutional quality owners who are operating like the kind of best in class kind of property. So it makes sense that, that they would be at the forefront of innovating. That's right. Exactly. So from, from then, you know, you know, fifth walls perspective here, your business model is you go out and like, you know, have, I imagine have some capital, raise some capital, go out, help seed these companies. And then what is the, what is the, you know, the, the goal for, you know, what, what is the return that you guys are generating for on your side? Yeah. So I, I unfortunately can't speak to the uh, specific returns of the fund uh, sure, just yeah. because of more like know, in general authority and compliance, but we're, yeah. we're typically looking for the standard venture returns, right? Where you're making multiple times your money over. Um, so we're taking a lot of risk by coming in early. And so we're looking to see a similar level of return on that investment, recognizing that not every single deal that we do is going to yield that. And there's going to be some that really hit it out of the park and others that might just be acquired, for example, for, for a smaller amount. And is there like a timeline that your investment that, you know, your funds are, are built for? Yeah. So we have this typical venture timeline, which is between five to 10 years in terms of our, our investment period and then our holding period. Got it. Um, yeah. So there are, you know, aside from some of the stuff that I've specifically asked about, are there other, you know, things in the market that you're seeing that, that you um, want to talk about? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some, uh, some interesting trends coming out right now. Um, I, I think that one of the big things, of course, is the rising interest rates and the impact that that mm -hmm. will have across the entire real estate industry. And for us, it makes us you know, for better or for worse, more bullish on all the rental markets um, because the residential market is taking a slowdown and downturn. And so we're really thinking about tech that helps the rental players operate more efficiently, price optimally, renovate and retrofit their units well, and essentially improve their margins. As um, I do believe that there's going to be more rent sensitivity. We continue to go through the economic and market cycle that we're in. Right. Yeah. We've gone through this period of, you know, both multifamily and single family rents rising like at fairly eye popping rates uh, for, you know, basically 
since ever since COVID ended. I mean, and that doesn't seem like that's sustainable. You know, even though I think you know long term fundamentals are still very strong for rental, just given the state of the housing in this country in general, and and what's going to happen with single family home sales. So it's not like there's going to be like a. It doesn't seem like. Doesn't seem very likely that there's going to be a, a, a major setback for multifamily or single-family rental, but I but it does seem like the pace of rental growth would have to come back to earth a bit. Um, but within that, then you know, just re- being able to generate returns and whether rent is going to be in line or um, you know where it stands relative to inflation in general and what happens with interest rates, I guess all that's going to make it a somewhat interesting period to navigate for multifamily and single family rental investors. Yes, absolutely. I think it will. And there's a big question around on the acquisition side, especially for single family, when the right time to to continue to pull the trigger is for all these folks who have raised massive amounts of institutional capital to purchase single family homes, because prices have started to adjust a little bit. Um, as the consumer side is kind of softened, I don't think they they're fully adjusted yet uh, to where the interest rates are and are expected to be. So uh, I think there is there is a question for a lot of those a lot of those folks on how they allocate capital and how they deploy capital and when. The, the other thing that's worth calling out, of course, is the big trend in office, which continues to be hybrid work or remote work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that office vacancy rates have stayed pretty high in many markets. Uh, And so there's a big question there around, should some of that space be repurposed, for example, uh, to be multi-use where some of it at least becomes residential in order to alleviate some of the supply crunch on the uh, resi side. And so uh, how office owners choose to manage increasing vacancy uh, a likely push for more flexible terms, et cetera, from uh, prospective tenants as well is something else that we're very much keeping a close eye on. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, that seems right to just see what happens with if any potential to office to residential conversion. I feel like I've see, seen handfuls of examples of it, but it as terms in terms of being a broad-based trend, it's not, um, not fully there yet. I think it's also like, you know, like so many other real estate things, it's going to be market specific. I think, you know, looking at the the return to office metrics, it's pretty clear to see that there are some cities, smaller cities where they're having a higher rate of people returning to office than say like New York city, where it still seems to be like, I don't, you know, half the time. And I know I'm still pretty much fully working remote. So Exactly. Yeah. I I think there's going to be a mix. Um, You see that San Francisco as a market that has a disproportionate share of tech workers um, is one of the ones that has the lowest back to office rates as well. Um, I I think that that's going to hold true where you have certain markets that have a larger proportion of, say, you know, factory workers or warehouse workers. Those folks will probably do all right. But your kind of white collar office worker, um, I don't think right now at least is trending towards going back to office five days a week. And so there's a big question around how to use that space efficiently and what the most effective way to manage that change is. Yeah. I think one of the challenges I had in another conversation is, okay, so even if you don't have everybody coming back five days a week, if there are day, if you are in an operation that has days where you're going to be mostly full, even part of the week, 
you need all of your real estate. So even so, then what do you do on the days that it's not as full, and how does that affect negotiations? But like you know, even if you don't have everybody coming in five days a week, if you have every mostly everybody coming in three days a week, your real estate needs really haven't changed that much. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. You still need oftentimes a similar footprint because to your point, you probably actually want a lot of folks coming in on the same day, right? It's it's mm. not quite the same situation as during the height of the pandemic where maybe you alternated who came in on what days to minimize the number of bodies in the office and make sure everyone had enough uh, room to socially distance. At this point, when people come in, they actually want to see as many people as possible to kind of foster that culture, have that flow of ideas. And so you can't necessarily just say, okay, I'll get half the footprint and, you know, half the people will never see the other half. Um, So there's some interesting solutions out there that we've been looking at, for example, that are trying to facilitate office shares where uh, you can basically jointly do a lease or you can do a sublease where you come in three days, the other company comes in the other two days. Uh, But of course, it's not as simple um, as sharing certain other resources, right? Because people are used to, I think, personalizing their their office space to an extent. And you never want a situation where you come in and there's someone else's belongings all over your desk um, and and it doesn't really feel right. Or of course, there might be sensitive information or documents and things like that lying around as well that that just you have to be very careful about. So it's a challenging problem, but uh, we are seeing some creative solutions coming up. Yeah. I mean, one of the pain points that I've had personally is, you know, with, with our company, downsized the amount of space that we do have in in New York City. And so nobody has a permanent workstation. So every time you go, so it's completely hoteling. And so that means like, if you do want to go in two days in a row, you also can't just like leave your laptop or anything. So, you know, going to and from the office, even on consecutive days requires bringing all of your equipment back and forth. And if you happen to forget, you know, I like have a, you know, a wireless mouse I really like. And if I forget that, then it's an, you know, a whole thing, but you know, so it's just like, it creates, like, if you've, if you haven't, if you don't really like have, it creates problems like that, which didn't exist before where like, you know, I didn't have to worry about bringing my, my laptop back and forth every time I went to the office or didn't have to worry about being in a different desk every time I went in, which I then I think that creates something that has to be navigated. That's right. Um, We actually have a similar situation here um, in our office, even in New York City, where we don't have set desks for anybody. And so similarly, we leave it very clean when we're not there. Um, And so there's also a difficulty in predicting capacity and usage where uh, we haven't yet adopted any of the solutions out there, for example, that allow you to book a desk, um, even though we do have the ability to book conference rooms. Um, But on certain days where we might have folks coming in from out of town, folks who are based normally uh, in New York City might come in and realize that all of the desks are, are actually taken for the day, right? And so managing that uh, utilization is is really important to make sure that folks are are productive. You never want folks to have to to spend time commuting unnecessarily because there wasn't space for them at the office that day or someone else was at their desk. Right, and it does seem like you know, kind of going full circle, that this is the kind of thing where prop tech can play such a a productive role in like you know analyzing 
um, the you know just analyzing the data and office occupancy, uh, helping manage the energy efficiency. You know, like if, if it is days, if it is a situation where you know, three days are more full than others, like being able to automate how some of that stuff is managed to help you save save money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing you know folks monitor not just the space utilization and occupancy to help gauge how much space they actually need, but also cleaning, for example, and making mm-hmm. sure that they're keeping the workplace hygienic and also uh, filling out, you know, the paper towel dispensers and the restrooms as needed, things like that, and, and using IoT for those types of purposes, as well as temperature, air quality, et cetera. So the, the use of IoT in the office is definitely picked up, and, and that's a trend that we expect is here to stay. Well, I, th- um, I think I've taken a good chunk of your time now. So, um, uh, you know, if you have any final thoughts before we before we wrap this up, yeah, I think my my last thought before we wrap up would just be that. I really do believe we're still only in the early innings here. Back when I joined Fifth Wall in 2018, towards the tail end of our first fund, a lot of folks thought that $200 million was way too much for a sector-focused fund focused on on real estate and the built world, and that we might not be able to find enough deals to invest in, actually. And now, of course, the amount of dollars pouring into PropTech, I think, has more than 8x'd uh, since I joined the team. And it really just shows that the industry has so much opportunity and we're, we're very much still in the early innings. And so even as we've begun to mature, I think on, on certain areas and certain solutions, there's still quite a lot of white space. So I'm still very excited for new solutions to emerge. And I would also you know, encourage those who maybe haven't delved as deep into the technology at this point to to get up to date and, and to start catching up because they're certainly not too late uh, and there's still plenty to do. And if folks want more information about Fifth Wall, what's the best uh, way to get that? Yeah, so if folks want more information about Fifth Wall, our website, fifthwall.com, uh, has a lot of information about us. And then we do also have, I believe, a contact form on there as well. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, you know, answering all my questions. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And uh, thanks again for having me. Sir, I just want to echo what David said. Thank you so much. Uh, again, I'm just a fly on the wall when David's doing these interviews and I learn a ton. So thank you for your information, David. Of course, thank you for facilitating this and putting this show on. And our last thank you is for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in a couple weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.